Blog Talk Radio. Yet our best trained, best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight. Bye. 
Okay, talk to me about the future of Public Enemy. Well, yo, how you doing? Uh, I'm trying to see if I think the uh, blog talk radio thing is acting up, man. I'm trying to wait for my co-host, man, but it's not even certain. If, yeah, this thing does not even. Yeah, well, man, it seems like uh, the blog talk radio thing is acting up, man. If you can hear me, let me know, because I'm not thinking that this thing is acting right. I'm allowed into the studio, um, but uh-oh. Yeah, it just seems like this thing is definitely giving me some issues tonight. Um I have no idea what could be causing it either. Um, I'm waiting on my uh, co-host while I figure this whole debacle out. So, um, yeah, I'm connected to the Internet. Ah, man, 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 man. This is one of the times where it is ridiculous how these things act, man. Um, I'm going to try hanging up and call back into the show and see if that works. All right. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Four zero four five six three zero four 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 is not available. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. To leave a callback number, press 5. We did not get your message either because you were not speaking or because of a bad connection. To disconnect, press 1. To record your message, press 2. Are you still there? To disconnect, press 1. To record your message, press 2. Are you still there? To disconnect, press 1. To record your message, press 2. Sorry you were having trouble. Please try again later. Goodbye. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. All right, all right, Mario? we're back. Uh, that that took yeah. a while. I don't know what's going on with blog talk right now. Yeah, man, that... All right, we'll apologize. At first... Um, Mario, speak a little bit louder. Your voice is really low. Yeah, man. I just all all kind of mess is going on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me better? A little bit. It's not your voice isn't as loud as it usually is. Can you hear me better now? Not really. Yeah, man. Blog talk is. Is are you using a Bluetooth? Use don't use the Bluetooth because I can't hear you. I turned it off. Okay. 
Um, yeah, sorry for the technical difficulties, everyone. Yeah, man. Mario? Uh, I guess we can continue with the show because hopefully it'll get a, get better somehow or another. Um, because this is kind of you can you can't hear me though, can't you? Uh, your voice is still really low, like you're mumbling. This is ridiculous, man. Good grief! Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what's going on. But you're not using your normal tone of voice. You're speaking lower than usual. Yeah, and I'm not using the thing either. Um. Is it sounding better now? Because I turned off the Wi-Fi. Maybe that was it. Yeah, it's better. So, you want to announce our topic? Yeah, let's try to get this thing on the hump, man. I mean, because, um, yeah, we can try to try to work this thing on out and everything. So, um... Sorry, I apologize for the first 20 minutes of the show not being, you know, uh, technical difficulties and all that kind of stuff, man. So we'll refund your money. (laughs) No mind. Anyway, look, uh, topic topic for tonight is going to be best and worst black movies. This is um, basically us putting together a list of movies that some are beloved, some are not so. And we're going to compare, contrast, eviscerate, and praise in some cases. Um, and I just want everybody to know, as far as I'm concerned, in the movies that I bring up, there are going to be spoilers. So if you're not into that, you should probably not listen. You're damn right. I mean, you can't help. I mean, in most of these movies are 20, 10, 20 years old by now. So, you know, I mean... If you hadn't seen them by now, I don't know what to tell you. You know what I'm saying? So uh, be prepared yeah. for the spoilers, and um, um, just hopefully, I mean, hopefully you're gonna join in the conversation and have a good time. And I'm sorry if we rip apart some of your your favorites, but can't be helped. All right, you want to start? I'm gonna lead off. Um, I guess a, a good one is I'm going to lead off with would be Boys in the Hood. Now, this movie came out when I was a kid, you know, everything, and it showed life, uh, life in urban neighborhood featuring uh, Cuba Gooden Jr. and Ice Cube and, you know, Mia Long before, you know, anybody knew who the hell she was and whatnot. It's, and uh, it's kind chest- of a gritty, whatever. And more of a chestnut. <laughs> yeah, Morris Chestnut, or as some people like to call him, Nut Chest. I heard a few guys say that shit in this one. But anyway, like, uh, um, and it just shows this uh, um, urban youth dealing with, you know, um, you know, the pressures of their area, gang life, and stuff like that. Although Cuban Juden Jr. does not look like he's about to go to high school, or Morris Chestnut does. I mean, I mean, seriously, man. I mean. These people are like they're already 35, but that's how most movies are anyway. Anyway, yeah, Ice Cube and with a with a Jerry Curl is pretty cool. Even um, uh, old girl, she does the voice for Riley on um Boondocks, and um Regina King, yeah, Regina King, and 
man, it's, 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 it's a really deep uh, moving uh, movie and whatnot. Um, you get to see a man use a sword. This might come better as maybe a good, slightly bad movie because spoilers, most, most chestnut, chestnut gets sniped with a sawed-off shotgun from about 100 yards. And I wonder, do you understand why that's kind of ridiculous? Um, I mean, I do, but in the same sense, understand the environment they were living in. And he was about to get out of their neighborhood. And no, 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 no. What I mean is a sawed-off shotgun shoots, shoots uh, uh, um, you know, buckshot pellets, right? So yeah. it's not a rifle. So if he's shooting from 100 paces, all those bullets are going to go everywhere. But in the scene, he gets shot point. He gets shot right in the thigh and right in the leg. You see the blood spatter. You know, with a shot off shotgun from that distance is going to happen. But that's just my logical mind thinking. Well, thank you for giving us an ammunition um, lesson. <laughs> now, as far as that movie goes, I love Boys in the Hood. I think it's one of the the better movies of the 90s, period, black, white, or otherwise. And I love Ice Cube's character, Doughboy. Um, for a couple reasons. A, no matter how badly his mother treated him and always tried to um, compare him with his brother who was the golden child, he never mistreated his brother. And the second thing I loved about him is that Doughboy was an atheist. And I had to watch this movie 15 times before I, before I realized that he was an atheist. Yeah, that was that was an interesting part. <laughs> Even though the way yeah. he did it was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, John you know. Singleton kills his character off like, the credits. They're like, they're like, oh boy, die. Was killed in a drive-by two weeks later. But still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That, that, just, that, that was one gritty, that was a gritty movie. And uh, it had a few scenes of hilarity in it. But at the same time, it shows the dangers of of young black black youth in these areas and the, the things they have to face, you know, it's it's unflinching as hell. This uh, isn't this the one that also has uh, uh, Morpheus in it? Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne plays um, the father of Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character in that movie, and right. Angela Bassett has a cameo as his mother. Um, so yeah, um, there are a few big names in that movie, and his father was just like this sage wise man in in a neighborhood full of ignorance. Yeah, see, I remember, I remember that. And I remember because uh, yeah, this cannon he shot this dude at his door and everything like that. And also, um, there's also the movie that showed you, you know, um, uh, um, Bernie Mac pretty much jacking up uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. And you you can tell he really doesn't like young black people. And, um, I mean, the movie movie really shows you straight point blank with no chase here what these neighborhoods are like and what can be. I mean, if I call my homie Nakomi, she could probably tell you a lot more because she has really actually dealt with that kind of stuff and everything like that. But, you know, the reason I liked the movie was because it was – an eye-opening movie because over in my area, I live in Conyers. Yeah, we have hoods and there are drugs, there's problems, there's gangs and stuff like that. But with these inner city youth, especially in um, these areas, 
South Central and stuff like that, what they were facing was leagues beyond what we were facing in our area. So, yeah, man, I, you know, you need to check that out because it's, it's worth the look. Okay. Um, well, my my first favorite, now that, well, this wasn't what I was going to say first, but now that you mention it, it reminded me of the film, um, is South Central. <laughs> South Central, um, it's a film from 1992. Who is it starring again? Give me a second. I'll get to it. Um, and it's starring Glenn Plummer and Byron Minns. And they're really not big names anymore. I believe Glenn Plummer um, was on, like, the first few episodes of the first season of Lost. Um and he did a couple of other movies in the 90s as well. But I love South Central. This film is amazing. Um, you know, you have this young man who's a gang member, and his girlfriend just had a baby. He just had a son. And he's put in a mm-hmm. position where he has to choose between his son and loyalty to his gang. He chooses his right. gang, and he says their sentence. And when, he's coming, when he comes out of prison, his son um, was shot during a break, uh, a, a breaking and entering, and, um, you know, you know, just barely made it out alive and recuperating, and is being recruited into that same gang by his old friends. And now, you know, he wants to make the right choice and he wants to be a father um, and, you know, hope, you know, hope that it's not too late to save the son that he never got a chance to raise. Right, and um, that was another one of those gritty, just really powerful movies. So I remember watching that repeatedly as a kid as well, and uh, thinking, you know, like especially the part part where, and we already warned you about spoilers. So the part where his son was, I think, he's trying to steal something from this dude, and the dude catches him, he runs away, and this dude shoots him in the back from a distance as he's trying to jump the fence. And so, you know, the, the crescendo of the movie with, uh, uh, I forget the guy's name, man. I forget the guy's name, but I think his name, isn't name Glenn Plummer or something like that? Glenn Plummer, yeah, Glenn Plummer. Yeah, yeah, I forget his, his character's name. He's trying to redeem himself after doing 10 years in prison and everything. And so it comes, comes, I'm sorry? His character's name was Bobby. Bobby, yeah. And he's trying to, he's trying to, uh, um, the kid, the leader of the gang, who apparently didn't age in 10 years, has given given uh, Bobby's son the opportunity to get retribution on the guy that shot him and thus earn a a place in the gang. And it's a very powerful moment when Bobby is trying to explain to his son why it would be wrong to kill this man and there are better options, there's a better path to take. And I thought that was such yeah. an incredible scene with it right there. Oh, yeah, the, the whole movie is filled with amazing performances. Glenn, like I said, Glenn Plummer, you know, he did a couple other movies, all black cast in the 90s, and, you know, he kind of had a chance. I, I felt that he was on the cusp of being a really big actor but never really got over that, you know, hill. But this man mm-hmm. is a powerhouse of an actor, and and you know, pretty much every monologue that he had in this movie was riveting. Um, right. And I forget the name. I forget the name of the boy who played his son. But yeah, this kid. This kid had some serious chops as well. And I thought that he would have, a, you know, a really big career. Um, right. But 
Yeah, but that, that movie was great. South Central was an amazing film. Um, and the thing, the thing that makes this movie great is it's not just something that's focusing on black problems or inner-city problems as much as Boys in the Hood was. Um, yeah, you did deal with inner-city life, and you dealt with gang life and drug abuse and drug use and whatnot, but the core of the movie is is about parenthood and fatherhood. Um, so I thought it was a really, really great movie. All right, cool. You know, um, there was somebody else in that movie. I, I can't remember that the dapper guy's name, but anyway, um, yeah, that that was that's one of my um, old school favorites. I don't know if it, how, how, you know, how how well does that movie hold up to rewatch though? Because I haven't watched it in years. You know, I watched it and it holds up pretty well because it's not like a lot of movies these days that rely on pop culture um, um, references. There aren't a lot of pop culture references to be made. Besides the fact that people are dressed like it's the early 90s and nobody has a cell phone, you know, everything, and even some of the, the, the lingo used is so used, especially if you live in South Central and if you're in a gang. I mean, there's like a, a lot of cold words used for drugs, but those cold words are still used. So it holds up pretty well. Um, but, you know, besides the really awful early 90s fashion and the lack of cell phones, I could I watched a movie, you know, about a month ago, and it, it still held up the same. Cool. I don't cool. know if somebody who was born, like, in the mid-90s or the late 90s, how they would how they would see the film, but since I was alive in that era, then it makes sense to me. Barely. Would you, like, 26 or something? I'm 29. Yeah, we, <laughs> but anyway, all right, so um, I guess now we're going to go to a bad, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, man, I got to do this to you, you know what I'm saying, to y'all, man, and I know it's easy to harp on, I, I mean, I, it's easy to harp on this person, man, you know what I'm saying, but I got to do it, all right, I'm going to, the movie I'm going to, I'm going to reference is, thinking Medea goes to jail or some shit like that. Oh, Lord. And, yeah, it's real easy to hate on Tyler Perry. But my thing is I'm a movie person. I love movies. There are problems I have with movies I even like. There are some issues I have. Game of Thrones, I love that show. There are some issues. So I'm going to critique this man, and if you got a problem with it, I'm, I'm sorry. But the man cannot write direct. He's a terrible cinematographer. He does all this stuff and I guess, I don't know if he stresses himself in or he has created himself such a niche that he doesn't even think about the things he puts into his movies. But uh, we start off this movie with Medea being in the courthouse and um, apparently you got got a guest appearance by the the judge was it Maybelline Ethram? Is that the... um, she was short, heavy set, dark skinned um judge. Yeah, with, uh, yeah, was, yeah, with Judge Maybelline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And apparently she didn't beat the shit out of two cops and she's let go because she, they didn't read read her Miranda rights. Okay, cool. I right, we get down further into the movie and um apparently there's a party being ha- going on in the house. She fires off a submachine gun in her own house. Meanwhile, you got this other subplot of uh uh, uh Derek Luke and his girlfriend working for this law firm, Derek Luke runs into an old college buddy of, of his who has really fallen on hard times and is fairly apparently a prostitute, although she never had sex. 
and perhaps even Drake, although you never see her use it, played by Keisha Knight-Pulliam, who, don't get me wrong, you know, Rudy. there must be a god that created this woman, and I'm an atheist. But anyway, and so, man, we get to the point where she nuts up at, uh, apparently there's some construction equipment outside of a Kmart that is actually not doing anything. The construction equipment is sitting outside, you know, apparently just right there. The building is constructed. They're not moving anything. So she gets mad at this woman for taking a parking spot. I've gotten mad at that shit too, and if I had had a missile launcher, I'd have blew this person's shit up, but I didn't. Next thing you know, you see Medea rolling around in one an industrial forklift, then forklift this woman's car up and flipped it out in the parking lot. Apparently, they just leave the keys for these things in the damn ignition, and she knows how to work work it. So she gets sent to sent, sent to prison. She gets sent to prison, and you know, aside from some cartoonishly bad prison inmates and stuff like that. We also get the idea um, that um, you got uh, uh, Olivia Davis in, in the movie who is uh, supposed to be a counselor or something like, something like that, and now you get Medea, the, the moral focal point, the wise sage of the movie. This is the same person who just fired off a submachine gun in our own house full of crowded people and went ape shit and flipped over somebody's car. Now she's supposed to be the person you listen to. Meanwhile, you yeah. find out that Derek Luke go, go ahead, go ahead. Anyone? Well, the Medea character is like being very, very irrational, but for some reason, everybody listens to her and takes advice from her anyway. Right, right. And um, the, I think that's the biggest problem is that he doesn't know what to really do with his characters. He wants to in, he wants them to be serious, but he wants to inject levity. But he seems like he tries to combine family matters with, like, uh, the hangover. You, you can't have two different extremes in the same movie. You know, it's either got to be ridiculously cartoonishly stupid, let's say, like, the hangover or even Friday or something like that, or it, you can have a family movie with humor, but you can't have an unhinged person that you're supposed to listen to later be the most insane person in the movie. You know what I'm saying? And so... You also have this other subplot in which um, Derek Luke is trying to figure out a way to help Keisha Knight pull him because he feels responsible for her because apparently some of his his uh, team buddies raped her when they were in college, and because of that, she is really she took that real and he has some psychological trauma from that and stuff like that. So he's risking his potential marriage with his wife to help her, and in the process, you find out this his wife who had no real reason to do that, do this, has been padding her cases. I don't even know what the hell that means. But apparently it does, apparently it's padding not a, something. Padding a case as your prosecutor is like putting evidence that, again? that wasn't there in order to get them longer sentences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and your your phone is doing the same thing too. Um, Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Um, Pete, what you said though about the padding your cases? 
Padding cases is when you add evidence against a person from somebody else's case that wasn't there in order to get them a longer sentence. See? Yeah. See? See, now, the problem is it seems like an unnecessary plot developed. It really does seem like an unnecessary plot development. And it's the only reason that this woman is allowed to get off with whatever she's done and everything like that, and because she just happened to be Medea's lawyer, Medea gets off as well. Yeah, it's, the, the, I mean, it's a Tyler Perry movie, but this is probably, I'm going to have to agree with you for putting it on your list, it's the most convoluted Tyler Perry movie. There are too many sex yeah. talks, too much sense. Um, it's more rational, um, more distracting than his normal movies are. Exactly, exactly. So you know, and tr- trust me, man, I can I can rip on rip apart Tyler Perry all day because to me, it's like you take somebody like say like Michael Bay or Yui Bo who makes terrible movies and do not give a shit because somehow or way, no matter how terrible they are, they're still entertaining. Tyler Perry okay. sincerely believes he's making good movies though. He doesn't either. He doesn't know, or he doesn't care how bad they really are. And that's the difference. I can watch a shitty movie because that movie was almost intentionally shitty, maybe because of budget or something like that. But Tyler Perry, he—you can tell there's an ego behind what he's creating to the point where he does not realize that you don't need to, you don't have to have such extreme goodness such extreme naivety and such extreme evil. You know, you can have villains and good people without them being almost mustache-twirlingly evil, almost, uh, what, what, what do you mean by that? You know, yeah. like... Shades of gray very well. You're either all good or all bad. Right. right. Medea is actually the only character that's ambiguous. Cause, you know, first of all, it's a man just as a woman to play her, and then she 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 is she's a gun toting drinking grandmother who never goes to church, but she always also gives the best advice ever. Right. In a movie filled with religious people, so um she's the only she's the only she's the most human character in the Medea movies is Medea. Right. And oddly enough, played by Tyler Perry, so that goes that ego theory again. But uh, I'm, 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 if, I, if I start ranting about Tyler Perry, I'll take up the whole show. What you got for? Me? Um, let's see. Um, my first movie, and I know I'm gonna get some backlash for this one because it's a movie that a lot of people, especially black women, love so much. And that movie is Love and Basketball. God, I hate this freaking movie so much. <laughs> First of all, let's run through the, the plot of Love and Basketball, shall we? It's 1981. You have a little girl, um, 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 Monica, moves next door to Quincy. Um, they both like to play basketball. They both want to be in the NBA. Meanwhile, find you, Quincy's dad is in the NBA and is a serial cheater who is wildly unsafe with his mom and openly so. Despite this, mm-hmm. he's a decent father when he is home because, again, he is in the NBA. So he cheats his wife like crap, and she puts up with it. And um, 
that Monica's like been in love with Quincy pretty much since that first day. He's a boy. He's not thinking about that. And once he does start thinking about that sort of stuff, even though he hates his father and claims he doesn't want to be anything like his father, he does the exact same thing. He toys with her emotions even though he knows how she feels. He sees a bunch of different girls in high school. Then when he finally gets together with her, um, within a year their relationship is, like, done. She's completely heartbroken. But like his father, he just keeps leaving from woman to woman to woman. And, you know, blaming his father um, for the way his father treated his mother by not taking any accountability for his own actions. And he never takes any accountability for his own actions, even through the the end of the movie, you never see Quincy take any accountability for his, the hypocrisy of cheating his father so badly for being an unfaithful husband while he, pretty, he cheated the, the person who's loved him his entire life the exact same way. Um, um, who pretty much abandoned her pride on multiple occasions to try to make a relationship work with this man. And, you know, we're supposed to be happy because in the end she has a man and she has basketball, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But literally, she ha- it took decades for him to reach a point where he was ready for her. I think this movie sends a really bad message that if you just try hard enough and you hold long enough, then the person you want is going to be ready to be with you too. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 you yeah. know, it's one of those. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. So yeah, I said it's beyond beyond ridiculous to me. Um, I think that um, that 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 thing where I, I think this movie was like the beginning of movies that portray black women as desperate for a man, desperate for a man's attention. Um, like that was the beginning of the end. Like this was when black women started being portrayed this way. Like we would do anything and sacrifice any amount of dignity and pride to be with a man. So that's why I hate loving basketball. Hate, hate, hate it. I also think that Omar Epps was overrated in this particular movie. Um, he could've, he could've, his acting could have been better. I did like Sanaa Lathan in the movie, but it's very, very hard for me um, to admit that simply because her character is just so, like, repellent to me. I see her as the – and she's portrayed as being a strong female – that I see her character as the epitome of weak-minded, needy, desperate female. You know, I can I can see that because it seemed like one of those one of those movies that is a bit heavy-handed. You already know the outcome of this movie. They're gonna end up together. The problem is how they're gonna end up together and the shit that they're gonna go through. She's gonna forgive him. You know, so he's gonna realize where he, where he fucked up at. Just what did he do? You know what I'm saying? And it's you know. The fact, the, the fact that it took decades for all this to coalesce and they, oh, yeah, I realize now what I really wanted and everything, that is, and I understand what you're saying exactly. It's like you had decades to find somebody else who didn't do any of this shit, but the movie wants to force these two to be together. So, therefore, the end result is going to be that they're going to be together no matter what. I, I didn't like that, man. I, you know, I, I don't. I'm not really big into too many romance movies. And even though, you know, even though I didn't really like the movie, I even forgave Sonal Layton. If I can forgive Sonal Layton for Alien versus Predator, I can forgive her for this. 
No, the thing I really? like about this movie as well is that he had other relationships with other women and enjoyed them, but she didn't. She spent the she entire did. movie she pining, did. the entire movie pining for him. So when he finally, right. you know, about you know, fill in the blank dozen women, and that's when he realized, oh, I guess it's time to settle down with this chick who's been lusting after me since we were eleven years old. Right, and you know the thing is, she was accomplished. She had done. She went to Europe to play basketball, and everything like that. And it's like, why couldn't it end with her being her own woman, with somebody else, self-assured, or whatever? You know what I'm saying? Without, you know, I mean, why couldn't she have had relationships too? What was the, what was the reason why she could not? Why what was the reason why she could only have him, where she he could have anybody he wanted, and still ended up with her? Yeah, I, I don't like the patriarchal message of the movie, and that's another issue that I have with Love and Basketball. But, yeah, I really, really hate that film. Um, I don't care how many people like that film. Um, I'm so glad that I've never been around a group of women who have suggested that we watch that film because um, I, tr- I watched it once, hated it, watched it twice when I was older, thinking I would get something more out of it, and I just really disliked it more. I saw something intrinsically wrong with the film when I first watched it. Um, I think I was 15, 15 or 16. And mm-hmm. I didn't like it later either. So, you know, I, that movie's not redeemable for me. But um, let's go back to movies we like. What is another movie that you enjoy? Okay. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, Tales from the Hood. I really yeah. like this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, this probably is one, of the, is one of those good, terrible movies because Tales from the Hood is, is a – sort of a black riff from Tales from the Crypt. You know what I'm saying? It's a anthology movie with uh, little vignettes uh, um, centered around something that is connected to the black or African or whatever type of uh, uh, big spirituality or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's got uh, uh, that dude that always plays a gangster in it, and he got the shit stumped out of him in Minister Society. Uh, that dude that uh, in real life Kill somebody for defending his aunt and end up going to prison. Uh, then you had Joe Torrey in it, who is kind of an actor somewhat. He did some things and everything. Also had uh, Clarence Williams the third. You gotta love Clarence Williams the third. That was one eccentric ass son bitch. I, I love that guy. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it's you know, it starts off these gangsters needing to go to this morgue because apparently this dude found some found some dope or something. They keep saying the shit, and so he somehow they believe he has it, or he told them told them he has it. And so, um, in the process of getting it, he tells them stories about what's happened. And you start off with this. I think the I, I don't remember every single story, but I remember one one of the stories being little African voodoo dolls, you know what I'm saying, or would, would they be Haitian or whatever. Either way it goes, because it's centered around a plantation in which this politician who's a bit racist is moving into the plantation, and apparently the restless spirits of the slaves living there don't want him to be there. And apparently there was this old black, this old black slave who used to make little dolls, and apparently in the one creepy thing about it is a, you're supposed to believe that there's a killer doll than that vignette. There's a picture of her to, on the wall surrounded by all her dolls. 
every now and then the camera pans across that picture in the midst of them doing something, and you'll notice that one of the dolls is missing from that picture. That is real creepy. And so he gets terrorized by, terrorized by one of the dolls until you begin to see all the dolls are missing from the picture. And so, you know, the inevitable conclusion, you know what I'm saying? It, it is really, it, 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 it's creepy. It could have been a little bit better well done, but I believe you could make a good movie off that vignette of creepy, I mean, because you see what Candyman did. Candyman took some, you know, took, took kind of the same kind of idea, you know, so black pain and misery and used it and used it to make, create a great horror narrative out of it. This could have been done the same way. Um, um, then there's another vignette in which uh, you got the um, um, uh, the guy he directed and starred in Fear of a Black Hat. He got Paula Jai Parker in it, and that little dude who always plays somebody's little dude in every black movie. Um, I can't remember his name, but now he's also in Soul Food, and then he burned down the house. You know what I'm saying? Cause, you know he's one of them dumb kids and everything. But anyway, and apparently, oh, David Allen Greer's in this one, and apparently David Allen Greer is some type of demon who apparently gets off on beating his, beating his own kid or something like that. All right. And so apparently he has to, the only way to thwart this demon is to draw a picture of him and throw him in the fire, which was pretty funny because they crumpled, they crumpled the paper up. And you see David Allen Griff balled up on the floor. He's like, I'm going to get you, bitch. It was hilarious. All right. The, but the last vignette, the last vignette, was an incredibly powerful message because it's centered around this guy. This is the same dude who was on, he was on um, Moesha. He later got killed in real life. And uh, um, he's apparently, he apparently has shot somebody and threw, and killed some black kid. And so through some type of weird court system and everything, he's remanded to this woman who apparently either is some type of rehabilitation person or whatever. And so she has this wild, crazy, insane method of rehabilitating people. Uh, um, the unfortunate matter is, is that he gets put in the prison right beside this white supremacist. And the white supremacist pretty much dogs him. Obviously, this black dude's going to get mad about this white supremacist saying something to him. But what he says is, what color were those guys that you shot? You know what I'm saying? And so uh-huh. from from there you get into uh, um, kind of a shock therapy in which uh, um, the guy, the black dude, is subjected to images showing all kinds of pain associated with black America, from slavery on down. You see a lynching. You see all these marches. You see all this stuff going on. But, you know, and it's an empower- – it, um, the music behind it is incredible. It's powerful. It almost seems like this vignette doesn't belong in this story, in this anthology, because this vignette has a point, whereas the other ones were simply silly horror. And so, you know, it doesn't take. And apparently, through some wraparound, he ends up getting shot by the very guys who are coming to buy the dope and kind of find out that the uh, uh, mortician, Clarence Wood, and the third is actually Satan, and these guys are going to hell. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That seems pretty intense. Yeah. Okay. 
um, movie that I love, 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 and this might be like in my top five movies um, of all time, Coming to America. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was hilarious. Coming to America starring Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, and James Earl Jones. Um, And this movie is about um, an African prince of a fictional African nation called Zamunda. And um, he is going to be married soon. It's an arranged marriage, but he meets his intended. And realize, and, 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 and when he watches the saying from the beginning of the movie that he doesn't like arranged marriages because it's marrying a stranger, then he meets his intended and realizes that she is an empty vessel who's been taught her entire life only to do and say and agree with whatever he thinks and feels. So he wants to meet a woman that has a mind of her own, and he thinks the best place to do that is in a, a country like America. After he and his valet, Semi, flip a coin, they decide to go to New York. And they decide the best place to find a future queen is Queens. So they go to Queens, <laughs> New York, and, and to find to, to, on, on, on bride search. And um, he tries, he, you know, doesn't want anyone to know that he's a prince and that he has money. And so he rents an apartment in probably, like, the poorest, crappiest um, part of Queens. And he takes a job at a place called McDowell's. McDowell's is the poor man's version of McDonald's in every way, shape, and form. And the owner of McDowell's um, has two beautiful daughters and um, Eddie Murphy's One character. One of kind of a yeah, Prince Akeem falls madly in love with his oldest daughter, Lisa McDowell, played by Sherry Headley. And she was another one who I thought would be a, become a big actress. But her career never really just never took off in that in that in that vein. Uh, meanwhile, right. um, Akeem Akeem's mother was played by Madge Sinclair, who ironically enough was Kunta Kinte's wife in Roots. But anyway. Um, so he goes without, you know, his parents' permission or anything like that, and he's gone for a while, and, and you know, he starts falling for Lisa despite the fact that she's dating this greasy-headed um, dude who's like, you know, the heir to a Jerry Curl empire. Um, his name is Daryl, and he's played by Eric LaSalle. And um, eventually she realizes that, you know, Daryl is not who, where she needs to be, and she falls for Akeem anyway. But, you know, still thinking that he is a poor man, a very poor man. And her father does as well. And her father has everything in his power to try to persuade her to stay with Daryl and not pay any attention to Akeem. Um, and the two of them, that her father and Daryl, even go so far as to announce an engagement when Daryl has never even proposed to her. But despite all of this, and despite his parents, um, um, King Jaffe Joffre Leon coming to New York and laying everything there, um, it's like a, it's really a, a modern day fairy tale. And I love this movie because it doesn't show you this girl who's poor but has a heart of gold um, and finds a prince to marry her. You know, you have a prince who knows who respects women enough not to try to buy his wife with how much money he has. And a girl who, you know, her father was poor but worked very, very hard, and they're middle class, and they have a good home, 
and she has a good job, and she has a good head on her shoulders, and she doesn't need a man to save her. And they find each other, and it's a really, really great movie. Um, it's hilarious, too, by the way. Um, you have um, Samuel L. Jackson in the role that he was typecasting for many, many years, the robber, um, and there's a scene where he holds up the McDowell's and he gets his ass kicked by Sunny and um, um, the valet and Pentatine. Um, there are a couple other scenes with Eric LaSalle's character, Daryl, and a couple other scenes with um, Lisa's sister, Sharice. Um, it, like, the whole movie is incredibly hilarious. Um, yeah. I, I definitely think that it's one of those movies where you even have Jake, the guy who sells a body by Jake's gym equipment, playing the cab driver mm-hmm. in the first scene of the, that movie. And oh, really? a, a cool thing, a cool piece of trivia for anyone who's ever seen um, another Eddie Murphy film, Trading Places, um, um, the two guys that were bankrupted at the end of that movie yeah. were the same, same characters that Akeem gives a bag of money to, the two homeless guys on the street, in Coming to America. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. I thought that was yeah. so cool. It's a really, really yeah. great, great film. I love it. Man, yeah, that that is one that is one of those that is one of those movies that it just it defines almost defines your your your, your childhood or something because we watched that so many times. It just and the great characters that uh, uh, Eddie Murphy and our senior hall played. It just it was a trip, man, because they they nailed these characters like Wendy, Randy Watson and then the Reverend. I mean, it was it, Randy it was Watson ridiculous. sexual chocolate, <laughs> sexual chocolate. <laughs> First of all, sexual chocolate is the greatest name for a band ever in life, ever. Yeah, yes, it is. That was the worst rendition of the greatest love of all ever. And if Whitney had already been dead, she would have been rolling in her grave. <laughs> Lord, that was an incredibly funny movie, man. I, I might need to watch that again sometime soon. Cause I, oh, and another I just, awesome movie is it stars my one of my favorite Haitian actresses, um, Garcelle Beauvais, who later on went, went on to play Fancy in the Jamie Foxx show. She was one of the Rose Petal girls. Who has to walk in front of the camera? Oh, oh. Okay. yeah. So, love that movie. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, man, that was that was a good one. Um, so I guess we gotta go to bed again. Uh, uh, you know what? You know, um. I'm really, I'm really sorry to do this, man. But uh, uh, Jason's lyric, all right, that is a bad movie, and I'm, I'm sorry. That I know y'all love that movie and shit like that, man. But man, that is bad. I mean, I, it's one of those movies I can watch, but the acting in that movie is horrendous. I mean, everybody has these put up on. Supposed to be Southern New Orleans Bayou type accents and everything like that. Nobody's believable at all in these characters, especially Alan Payne, who read an instruction manual on how to act. Okay, and you know, uh, uh, you know, and then you have Tretch from Naughty by Nature, who's supposed to be playing this this guy who apparently 
is a master bank robber who robs banks enough that he that you know enough that these guys know the ins and outs of bank robbery, but wears his normal street attire and robs the bank in his own car, which is decked out and distinguishable as hell, okay? And then you have, they decide to break up on Bokey Woodbine to be in the damn robbery, and this son of this rolls in late. Who comes late to a bank robbery? You know, and and then on top of that, decides to decide to take all of his mask, assault one guy to get one watch, and then runs out. Now apparently there are no cops in this town because you would think this guy would have been caught five minutes later. Nope. Instead, he is strung up in the in a uh, in a um, in a barn and has apparently been tortured by Trish. Who then lets him go? He <laughs> lets him. <laughs> and you know what happens, right? Well, Bo King Woodbine, being the insane piece of shit he is, comes back to seek revenge. He kills everybody but Tretch, who was apparently all fucking earlier. Uh, it, you know, it you know it it is it, a movie that you 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 if you watch it at the time period that it came out, you love the movie. But it's one of those movies that you watch now. It doesn't really hold up. It doesn't. I mean, there is no yeah. way. That I, go ahead. Yeah, there was. I I actually liked Dixie's List the first time I saw it, but every time after that, I kept seeing more things wrong with it, like the things you pointed out. Um, and I, one of the glaring reasons why I don't like Dixie's List anymore is because other than Bokeem Woodline, who plays Josh, Jason's brother, in the film, every other actor in the film was substandard at best, including right. Jada Pinkett. I don't care what her fans think. She's not a good actress. She hasn't had any role worth talking about since she was on A Different World. No. Sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> anyway, right. Bokeem um, Woodline had to carry that movie. He carried that movie. Without the character of Josh, there was no movie. Jason was born. Right. His character was, um, so I can't say anything about the actor so much because I saw that same actor in... Um, in um, uh, what is that movie? What is I, I don't remember the movie. Um, but anyways, um, you, no, New Jack City. Yes, he played with his yeah. brother New Jack City, and his role in that movie was actually pretty good. But looking back, I can't say he's a bad actor. I can say that Jason was probably one of the most boring characters ever written about. Um, and every other character wasn't boring, but the acting was bad. But King Woodbine carried that movie. He had an interesting character, and he was the only actor with the skills to carry that role. But other than the character of Josh, who, as you said, was actually crazy for a lot of reasons. I think getting locked up as a kid for a crime that you didn't do because you were trying to protect your brother um, would make anybody batshit crazy. So that part of the movie didn't have continuity issues. But there were huge issues and holes in the plot, like you said, with many other scenes in the film. So um, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't put Jason Drake as a movie that I hate, but it's definitely not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah, so um, movies that we like again. So no, you got to do a bad Yeah, okay, um, movie that I hate. Hate, 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 okay. All right, I'm going to say the one that I just mentioned, um, 
And it's not because I think it's a bad movie. That is not why I hate this movie at all. I actually think it's a very good movie, very good movie. Um, I just um, hate how everything panned out in the end. Um, and even though the ending is quasi-realistic, I just didn't like it. Um, and that movie is New Jack City. Mm, yeah. And, uh, yeah, the movie was directed actually by Mario Van Peebles and starring Wesley Snipes, Ice-T, and Alan Payne. And um, Chris Rock is also in this movie. Um, and he plays a, it's one of his earlier roles, and he's still young and, and you know, so had really jacked up teeth and, you know, had actually just started his career as a stand-up comedian. But you saw his potential as an actor in this film because he played his role, Pookie, to perfection. Pookie the crackhead. Um, um, there was also um, Alan Payne, who was in Jason's lyric as the very boring Jason, who played G-Money, um, brother to Nino Brown, was his nice character in this movie. Um, Ice-T, uh, Scotty, an undercover cop. Um, you had Dude, I forget his name, Judd Nelson, from The Breakfast Club, also a cop in this movie. Um, and um, Michael Michelle, who played um, Wesley Snipes' girlfriend, Selena, in this movie. And pretty much the movie is about a, a brother's really close family. They got, and they got in the drug game, they got in the crack game, and eventually the more money they made and the more of an asshole <laughs> the oldest brother Nino became, the family and the trust disintegrated. Mm-hmm. And um, the empire crumbled. Um, pretty much everybody on the block around this family, concerning this family, got shot and got killed. There's even this one right. horrible scene where people come after Nino Brown at a wedding, and he uses these two little flower girls as human shields. Yeah, yeah, um, that was, It's yeah. pretty. It's pretty gritty. It's pretty grimy. But Nino Brown is that character that you love to hate. You hate everything about him, but there's a speech that his character gives in the courtroom that is undeniable. What he's talking about, how am I guilty? There are no opium fields here in the hood. I don't have a private plane. How am I guilty? There's someone guiltier than me, but he's not on trial here. And it really speaks a lot about the war on drugs and how it affects black people, um, especially in the inner city in America. Because the fact of the matter is, there is a demand, but we're not creating the supply. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so what I, what that, I hated about the movie, too, is at the end you have the reverend who ends up having to kill Nino's character because it's the only way to get him off the streets and stop being a detriment to the community. But you know there's going to be a new Nino Brown in a couple of months. You know that old man's going to go to jail. You know he didn't stop the issue with drug addiction in the inner city. Everyone's dead, and no one's learned anything. Right, right, right. It, it, that that that's a movie. That's another movie. Movie similar to the movies we already listed. That is in around that time period in the nineties. You love this movie, but when you sit back and it's on TV now, and you go ahead and rewatch it, you realize the glaring plot holes and. Uh, um, um, you know, errors in, in the in, in the narrative and everything like that. Like, really, you have a criminal enterprise that is able to take over an entire uh, um, apartment complex, right? And they got all this security set up. You apparently you cannot 
stop this from happening unless you get somebody in there to see what's going on. So they hire, they get the crackhead to go in there and almost instantly they're promoted to working within the drug, the drug packaging area off rip. And he is the only one there wearing a button-up, button-up sleeve, uh, button-up dress shirt, and a glaringly large belt that you know full well this dude would not wear this belt. And a, there's a camera in the belt with a with a recording equipment, and there's a wire on his chest. You know, which you know, you, you really you would think that. I mean, you got these people here walking working here naked. Why didn't anybody pat this guy down before he got in here? He's been working here. I don't know how long he's been working there, but he's been working working here long enough that you know he knows what's going on here. And apparently, he thought. You send the crackhead into a drug facility, and I'm surprised that he starts using crack again. Okay, and and so apparently that you know that sets up the whole thing because they don't get enough of any they don't get enough evidence evidence to to uh, convict or Nino Brown, and I don't know I guess and so they set all the evidence on fire, the computer files and stuff like that on fire and stuff like that, and. Um, that's when Nino kind of goes into hiding, and it's a powerful, powerful moment. Uh, um, when uh, um, all right, all right, all right. Before this happens, apparently Alan Payne, who's the one who brought in uh, um, uh, Chris Rock, uh, he also brings in Ice Cube, Ice T. <laughs> yeah, I almost did it. And um, Ice T is pretending to be, is pretending to be a drug buyer and stuff like that. That whole thing goes sour, and uh, um, it's a very powerful moment, one of the most powerful moments in the movie where Alan Payne, uh, uh, Neil Brown, is confront, confronting um, G-Money. He's confronting him, and you can see the tension between these two guys who are kind of like brothers, but now Neil Brown mm-hmm. has to kill him. Neil Brown actually yeah. cries when he shoots him before, after after uh, um, Alan Payne says, am I my brother's keeper? He said, yes, I am, and he shoots them. Neil Brown actually cried at that. You have not never seen a gangster character cry because of some, a scene like that. And I, just, I really enjoyed that scene, even though the movie around it falls apart, you know, the more you think about the logic of it. Oh, there was a lot of great acting in New Jack City. Like I said, it wasn't the acting or the film itself, because I feel that for the time period that it was based on, it was a very good movie, and a lot of it is still relevant. Um, it's just the, how how it ended, ultimately, that really made me dislike this film. Yeah. I watched yeah. it several times, hoping foolishly that it would end in a different way, and of course it didn't. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it really is too bad, too. Um, so, okay, back to movies we like. Friday. I, I, it, it probably won't hold up the rewatch, but I love Friday. Friday is one of those. It, it's this insanely stupid uh, uh, movie about two slackers who are, this occurs in one day. Right? This is all based on one bad day, right? There's really no end goal. There's no real plot other than these two guys dealing with one bad day associated with some bad decisions 
at least one of them made. Right, it has James and John Willispoon, the only movie he was funny in, outside of the Boondocks, that is. He plays Grandpa on the Boondocks. But you also have Chris Tucker, you know, who did, went on to do similar roles in other movies and before he, you know, just disappeared. And yeah, Ice Cube, who, you know, let shed his I'm a super gangster I'm type a- image to be almost kind of a laugh, laughably Laughably, laughably goofy type of guy in this movie here, and you've got these other just insane characters like Tiny Zeus Lister playing Debo, and you got Stanley, you got Felicia, and you also had Neil, Neil Long in the movie, and you know, this, you know, you just have to watch this movie because it starts off with Smokey, uh, Chris Chris Tucker's character ridiculing Ice Cube's uh, um, character for getting fired even though he wasn't at work that day. Yeah. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and so from there, you know, Smokey gets in, I mean, Smokey had already gotten into it with this other character played by Faison Love, Big Worm, and the whole thing just goes on from there. I mean, it is it's one of those movies that if you watched it, you would have loved it at this time because the characters are insane. Uh, you know, the, the, what happens during the course of the movie is just ridiculous. And it's one of those lightning in a bottle type movies that they tried to recapture that magic twice, two more times with two more sequels. It wasn't there. It wasn't there. You struck gold one time. You can't do it again. So, it's very, very hard yeah, you, for a sequel of comedy. Well, any movie, but especially yeah, this. yeah, yeah, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I think um, I don't know about um, uh, um, hot, um, you know, the movie with Sandra Bullock and Melissa um, McCarthy. I don't think I don't think they're doing a sequel, but that's what they said about Bride Bride Maze that they're not going to do a sequel because you can only do that shit one time. You see what happened with The Hangover, two and three weren't nearly as funny as Part One. Yeah, but they were so funny. I'm not going to lie. They were so very funny. Yeah. Okay, for me, the movie that I like um, is Poetic Justice. Um, I don't know if you um starring oh, yeah, and Tupac Shakur. Um, this is kind of like a slice of life film. It doesn't really have a grand plot. It's just a weekend in the life of two people in um, in Southern California, and who who kind of find a connection. Um, there is no epic romance um, plot. There is no desperate woman or desperate man plot, um, which again I love. It's not a movie about a black man running from love or a black woman desperately searching for love. It's just two people who happen to find love and they happen to be black. Um, there's no grand plot. There's no comedy in it. It's just a really good movie. Um, pretty much you have the main character, the title character, her name is Justice. Um, and um, she she saw the man that she loved gunned down in front of her um, a couple a few years ago because he was in a gang. And so he was shot by a rival gang member um, one night while they were on a date. And, you know, she is a beautician. She does hair, but she has a poet's soul. And, you know, she kind of keeps to herself because she's afraid of love and afraid of losing someone that she loves. 
this man, um, by the way, the boyfriend who was killed, is played by Q-Tip, the rapper. Uh, and um, she meets Tupac's yeah. um, fourth character, Lucky, and he he drives a mail truck. He works for the USPS. And, um, you know, at first they really, really, like, the, the first impression was really, really bad. Um, they both insulted each other, um, were very rude to each other. But he works with her girlfriend, her, her friend's boyfriend. And so the two of them accompany um, her friend, her friend who's played by Regina King, and the boyfriend um, with Lucky to deliver something over the weekend. And while the two of them are fighting, Lucky and Justice are becoming much, much closer and, you know, really getting to know each other outside of their work environment and away from their home. And then they really bond with each other. And, you know, you don't really get that impression of happily ever after, but just two ordinary people who understand that they have a connection, that it's hard to find people that you vibe with. And, you know, at the end of it, they're making a go of it. They're going for a relationship. It does not give this vibe of love is easy, life is easy, one true love or happily ever after or anything like that. The movie is so realistic, and that's why I love it so much. Yeah, that was that was one of the first movies you um, got a taste of. What other things Tupac Shakur was capable of? You know what I'm saying? I mean, he really was a very charismatic actor who could who could carry a role, like in Juice, and there was another movie he was in. I can't. Um, he was even pretty good at gang related. He played uh opposite uh um. Was it gang related where he played on um, a cop and he was partnered with um, was it James Belushi or somebody like that? Um, I'm it was, not sure. was it? Is it a gang related? It's not the one that had Tim Roth in it. I know that, but um, yeah, the one with, with Tim no, Roth. No, that was the one. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. And you can see this man here. Had he had not been murdered, if he had left alone all the shit associated with Death Row and all that stuff like that. This guy could. This guy could act. This guy had another yeah, career outside of rapping. Oh yeah, I, and I, so I'm glad that you brought up that movie because Dreadlock is one of my favorite movies. Um, it's my favorite movie starring Tupac for sure, hands down. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, he he, he really was. He really he could, he's one of the few rappers I could have seen actually carry a character and you know and stuff and. It really is too bad he got cut down too long to realize his full potential. But that, you know, he had a second career. He would have had a second career, for real. You know. Oh yeah. Um, that. What quarter justice? Um, let's see. Back to movies that we dislike. Um, which is yeah. Man, that got them soul plane, man. That's some bullshit. I, I only movie. I only made it to the first five minutes and then I walked out and went Man, I I didn't even want to go see that bullshit. I forget how I even got drugged to that movie, but I'm in there like, oh my god! They went down. They had a dartboard 
of the of surrounded my black cliches, and they threw darts at the board to decide which one they're going to include. Like, really? They, first of all, you cannot buy a plane with a million dollars, okay? Shit. I, the, the fuel alone probably costs a million dollars. But you, know, you got Kevin Hart, and you got every washed-up black comedian in that, in that bitch in the same movie, and it's supposed to be funny because you're black, right? You're going to laugh about this. You know, I mean, and, and then you have Tom Arnold and some of the – she's been in some other stuff. I can't remember her name. And, uh, uh, you know, somebody else in it. And, you know, the whole thing's situated. But somehow Kevin Hart wins the money to start his own airline. That's impossible. But uh, – and then on top of that, he gets um, Snoop Dogg, who apparently barely knows how to fly a plane, to be the pilot. And along the way, when you see the plane come in, the plane is on super large tires, which are decked out in rims. If any of you know shit about weight and aerodynamics, you know that this is not going to work. Anyway, go, you're supposed to believe it works because you're black. And then you got the guy who's the one-way guy who's supposed to roll the, uh, help guide the plane out. There's only one dude, and he's pop-locking and dancing. Because, you know, you're black. He's black. You know, that's what he's going to do. And so you get on the plane, and it's, series of, it's a series of cliches and stereotypes, one after another, that just parlayed. I mean, I'm all for um, bad jokes and inappropriate humor related to race, whatever. It has to be funny. None of this stuff was funny. None of this. You even had, um, uh, um, uh, 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 what's his name? I just mentioned his name on Friday. Um, John Willispoon having an orgasm from fingering a, a, a potato, right? And you got Snoop Dogg flying a plane high on mushrooms. And then, you know, um, um, it just, you know, it was not a funny movie. It was not a good movie. It was a terrible movie that went on to just, just, just shoehorn every. Um, every negativity about black people they could they could find and try to make it funny. If you had done the movie better, if you had used used these tropes to your in a better way, it might have been funny. I can laugh at shit like that, but this movie was a terrible movie. It was a terrible movie. The entire premise was terrible. Fuck that movie. <laughs> God. I mean, it's one of those movies you got to pour a train on your eyes to wash it out, man. I mean, yeah. Go, go ahead. Um, I would say my next movie and movies that I hate is also a Tyler Perry film, and it's called Temptations, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor. Temptations is, one, Temptations is one of Tyler Perry's newer films, and it is starring... Um, it's starring um, Journey Smollett, and you guys might remember her as a little girl as Eve and Eve's Bayou. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she had hope for her career, but then she decided to do this shit, so I don't even know what's going to become of her career now. Anywho, Temptation is probably the worst Tyler Perry movie film for a few reasons. First of all, it's not supposed to be a comedy. So nothing gets, like, the comedic path. So here you are. You have a married couple, Judith 
and Bryce, um, um, a woman who worked at the pharmacy with Bryce named Melinda, um, and the third most successful social media entrepreneur in the world, Harley. Now, um, Harley seduces Judith, who is married, and they indulge in lots of extra marital sex and cocaine. Mind you, the first time he had sex with her, it was clearly rape. She clearly said no several times and fought him off. He still raped her anyway. And then it shows you less than 10 minutes later in a different scene, she's calling him up begging for more. Tyler Perry clearly doesn't know the difference between rape and consensual sex. Problem number one in the movie. Then, um, meanwhile this is happening, um, you, he, her husband, Bryce, is depicted as the perfect husband simply because all he wants from life is his wife's cooking and sex in the missionary position. And he will only have sex in the missionary position. Anywho, then there is the character of mom, Miss Sarah, who's very religious and is constantly on Judith's case because she wants more out of life than cooking for her husband and having sex in the missionary position. And her husband does nothing to stick up for her, by the way. Um, and she is depicted as a bad person for falling out of love with her husband and even a worse person for having this, marital, this extramarital affair with this guy who, for all intents and purposes, raped her. Now, this is what makes the movie really, really bad. Every single person who did wrong, and the only people, people that didn't do wrong, according to the movie, are her husband, Bryce, and her husband, Miss Sarah, Every single other person in this movie ends up with the greatest punishment imaginable, HIV. Judith has HIV for sleeping with Bryce. Melinda has HIV for sleeping with Bryce because even though she did the right thing, being faithful to him because she was his steady girlfriend after this, she did the right thing with the wrong person. Bryce has HIV for sleeping with everybody, unprotected, of course. And at the end of the movie, we see... um, um, Judith go meet up with Bryce at the pharmacy, but only to pick up her HIV medication. And as she's hobbling down the road, can barely walk, his wife, his new wife and kids come running up to him. He's clearly the winner, and she's clearly the loser. Yeah, I, I heard about all that. And I, I, I thought, man, I mean, I thought this, this piece of shit, this guy's a piece of shit for the message you're trying to send in this movie. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I, I really was disgusted, and I, I just refused to. The only way I would watch that movie is if I pirated it and or somebody made me. Outside of that, I just I could not bring myself to watch that piece of shit. I did it. I regret it. No judgment. So, Hello? what is the Yeah, man. I mean, it, that, Tyler Perry and subtlety. You know, I mean, you know, come on, man. I mean, the guy. Yeah, let me shut up. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's how he rolls. Um, so, what's the next movie on your list of movies you like? Juice. And this is another movie that starred uh, uh, that had uh, uh, that had Omar Epps in it, but it also had Tupac Shakur in it, and it also had um, 
a guy who I thought might have done more, Khalil Kane, but he didn't do shit, you know. So I love Khalil um, Kane, but you know, he did a couple of indie films. He did also um, Darnell on Girlfriends for four seasons, and yeah. most recently, Khalil Kane was the rapist in For Colored Girls. No kid. I'm serious. It scared the yeah. hell out of me too. That was a performance, man. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, um, it's 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 uh it's another one of those inner, inner city um, movies um, showing these kids dealing with uh, life um, life on the streets and life in their hood and everything like that. And it just has great performances, man. You mean you really? You mean Omar Epps looks young enough to be this kid. Tupac secure. He has this creepy. This he goes from being just as happy go lucky as the rest of them to being a psychopath and drunk with power. He has never had power in his life. He's get he's been getting his ass kicked all his life. Once he realizes, because he ends up shooting Khalil Kane. It's like he goes on a power trip, and from then on, it's like he's drunk with a power that he never knew he had before. In minor though the power may be, for him, it's a point in his life, and from then on, it is just you know it's just a mad dash for Omar Epps to avoid this guy. And in the end, they get into a scuffle on the roof, and somehow Tupac falls over the the, the roof, and. Uh, or fall off the roof, but Omar Epps didn't want to let him go. He didn't want, it was not intentional. It was at that moment, it's almost like he woke up from a daze and realized, Tupac woke up from a daze and realized, I've been fucking up, but it's a bit too late, you know. And it just, you know, although I, I, I cannot stand that ending line after this guy just dropped off the side of the building, Omar Epps walked slowly over to the door, and this other dude just standing there, I guess you got the ju- I guess you got the juice now, man. What the fuck does that mean? Any anyway, outside of that, it was a really good movie. It was a really good, you know, uh, uh, um, I mean, the performances in the movie were pretty good and everything. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, man. It was pretty good. All right. Okay. Cool. I actually have never seen Juice, so I need to check that out. Um, let's see. Movies that I. <laughs> Again, I, I can't I can't stress this enough. Jada Pinkett Smith or Jada Pinkett at the time is a horrible actress. That said, um, I did like not her performance so much, but her role in Set It Off. Um, the performances that I thought were noteworthy were by from Vivica A. Fox, Queen Latifah, and of course Kimberly time, and I think now is a bigger name than the rest of them, but um, you have four women living in in, um, in in the Los Angeles area, and they're poor, and they've been growing up in the same neighborhood. You have Jessica Fox's character who works in a bank, and they pretty much come up with this scheme of, you know, leaving dead-end jobs, um, leaving hustling, you know, being able to pay their bills, or in the case of Jada's um, Smith's character um, paying for her younger brother's college tuition because she's the only family that he has. Um, and so they have this idea. They rob the bank. Everything goes smoothly. 
until we find out that one of them has got robbed by her boss. So now they have to do this again. And it's the uh-huh. second time that they get caught by law enforcement and shit hits the fan, so to speak. Well, you really get a pretty good detail um, of the background of the lives of the characters. Like, you know, Miracle Fox's character has been working at this bank for X amount of years, but she lives in a really bad neighborhood, a bad neighborhood where thieves live. And so when the bank gets robbed the first time, not by these women, and she happens to know the thief because they grew up in the same neighborhood. She was her job. Um, you know, you have um, Jada Pinkett's character. Her brother's been accepted to college, but she doesn't have the money to, to send him. And there's one scene that's really, really hard to watch where she's basically prostituting herself to get some money um, to pay the down payment on his tuition. Yes, Kimberly Elise's character whose child is about to be taken away from her because since she had no child care, she took him with her to work, and he drank, um, you know, a poisonous solution and nearly died. So they're dealing with some real struggles that are all wrapped around their lack of finances. And the movie is really good at illustrating, you know, how desperate um, a, a person can be when they need money, especially a, woman, especially a single woman mm-hmm. who... Um, who isn't really going to be offered a lot of chances um, to better herself. So um, they let this desperation lead them into very obviously illegal, but also not very well thought out, arguably stupid decisions. And um, the movie ends in a pretty tragic way, but it wouldn't be believable and it wouldn't have been a good movie if it ended any other way. Right. Um, I, I, although I, I found myself, I was weirdly turned on by that creep, that, that, that chick that never spoke. I just thought that was kind of, uh, you know. Uh, what else? Are you talking about the one who played Queen Latifah's girlfriend in the movie? Yeah, that she put her tongue down into her esophagus. I mean, yeah, that, that, uh, that, for some reason, that, 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 that quietness was kind of, kind of sexy for some reason. I mean, I don't know. Even though at the time I hadn't learned my complete disdain and disgust for smoking and everything like that. But, you know, it was, you know, I, I just found her oddly attractive and whatnot. Although the, the, the trope of the film that I did not like, though, is that, okay, we've we've decided right, that we're trying to talk, um, um, we're trying to talk uh, uh, our way out of this, that the cop is trying to talk, out of the way out of this and everything, and it looks like everything's about to calm down. And then this one dumbass cop runs in and fires wildly and shoots uh, uh, Kimberly Ellis's character. I didn't like that trope because a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of movies use that trope for, well, we need to wind the action back up or something. You know what I'm saying? Outside of that, though, I I really enjoyed the movie and the way Queen Latifah went out, man. That was a powerful moment. Oh, yeah, she went out like a badass. And Vivica Fox, too, like, she didn't even try to, her kid didn't even try to fight. She was like, you know what, I'm going to die. I'm going to die with money in my hand. So she didn't even surrender. Mm-hmm. That was badass. I love that movie. Um, okay, now movies, back to movies we don't like. Okay. Um, um, all right. I, 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 I just had that shit, too, man. I just had it. And it was, it was one that uh, 
that uh uh Dang, I just had that shit, yo. You got yours already ready? I'll just go again after you. Okay, sure. Um mine is my next one is Baby Boy starring um Tyrese. Singer Tyrese. Oh, um, oh I know also starring, It's also starring um Taraji P. Henson. And um who else is in this movie? A couple, um, you know, um, Omar Gooding is in the movie as well, and um, I believe Zing Rains. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And uh, and also that chick that was uh, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the name's uh, friend in House Park. Um. Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Um, her name. What's her name? She she was um. She was the main character's mom, Jody's mom. Yeah. Hold on, give me a second. I'm gonna find out this woman's name. I don't really, I really want to remember what her name is. I think it's AJ Johnson. Oh, her name is AJ Johnson. She was in Baby Boy, House Party, and the first Sister Act. But I actually remember her best um, in the movie Inkwell. Oh, really? I didn't know she was in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was the housewife um, that he was kind of in love with in Inkwell, um, that um, Lorenz Kate's character was in love with. Uh, anyway, I was about to say. Um, yeah, let me just double check my facts here. Yes, she was in Inkwell. Um, but anyways, the joke Baby Boy is the story of a young man named Jody, and, um, you know, he lives with his son's mother. He has another child, a daughter, um, and he's kind of separated from her mother, but cheats on her, cheats with her on his current girlfriend. Um, No future, no real ambition or goals. Um, His best friend sleeps in a gang. Um, His mother had him at 14, so I believe Jody is 18 or 19. But his mom is, like, 33, and, you know, she's black, so she looks, like, 25. And, you know, has a body better than most teenagers. And she starts dating this thug, played by Zing Rames. Um, And, you know, there's, like, a turf war in the home because she is in a, a, a situation where she's just between her man and her child, who is a man but still behaves like a little boy. And so he's mm-hmm. just going over and you know the overall premise of the movie like it had potential and it had some great actors like A.J. Johnson, Ving Rhames, Taraji P. Henson, Omar Gooding. Omar Gooding, who plays his best friend C.P., gives some of the most amazing monologues of his career in this movie. Mm-hmm. And he's been acting since he was really, really young as well. What messes it up is actually the character of Jody. And by that, I'm not saying that Tyrese is a, Tyrese is a bad actor. He's not, um, but, um, I mean, he isn't great, and the character of Jody showcases that. Um, Jody is completely insensitive realistic. It, it, ruins the, it ruins the credibility of all the other characters. Um, and you also see Jody as being good at only one thing, really, having sex and making babies. And his, his son's mother like garbage. I mean, this is one scene where he says, 
of course I lie to you. I lie to you because I care about your feelings, if, and I don't want you to be hurt. Um, I care about you. That's why I don't tell you the truth all the time, which it sounds good if you're used to listening to bullshit, but in reality it's just an excuse for being dishonest and untrustworthy and unfaithful. Um, there's another scene, too, where this guy from prison that she was talking to, Rodney, um, tries to rape her in her own home, which is was a completely unnecessary subplot. I think it was just a way to get Tyrese and Snoop Dogg in the same movie. And mm-hmm. it really showcases how dispensable um, women are in this scenario and how they're treated like property. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really didn't like that about the movie. I thought there was some great acting on the part of A.J. Johnson in the one scene where um, she kicks Jody out of the house. Really great monologues, like I said, by Omar Gooding, who plays the veteran Sweet Pea. And um, really great acting on the part of Taraji P. Henson every time um, the character of Yvette had to fight Jody um, or got in an argument with Jody. Um, great acting on the part of Zane Reigns, too, but he always does pretty exemplary in these films. Um, this yeah. man is a very, very versatile actor. You see him in everything and as everything. I've seen him play a drag queen in Holiday Heart which is also going to be in one of my favorites, and he shut it down. Yeah. Um, um, all right, we're closing in on 15 minutes left, so I'm going to do mine real quick, and I'll let you do your good one. I guess we'll, I'll let that be your last thing. Your good one be the last thing then. Um, and I guess the, the, the movie I'm going to end my in, in mind with is ATL. All right, man. I, I know M M loves this movie. I don't hate I the do. movie. <laughs> I don't hate the movie. I just think this movie has no idea what it wants to do. On one hand, it's supposed to tell, supposed to be trying to tell this what they think is a gritty story about life in the hood, but it does not. They're you know it's talking about this skating competition that never happened. All right, and then it has this has comedy strewn out throughout the whole uh, um the whole movie. I think they they had several different people, several different ideas and um and um neither one of them they fully explored. They didn't go full comedy, they didn't get they didn't go full uh uh, 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 uh um drama. So they smattered the, the three together and you have um TI and Lauren London, who can't do much else, you know, and they're supposed to have this budding romance, and apparently she comes from an affluent family and doesn't really, like, doesn't, like, tell people about this. When T.I. finds out about it, he is pissed. And, okay, I guess, you know, I don't know, whatever. I mean, but you also have this, this thing in which you got his younger brother supposed to be trying to sell dope and everything, um, so he gets hooked up with Big Boy from Outcast, supposed to be a big time dope dealer, but they're selling weed, and he is making this like a super. I mean, he really took the whole thing that the things you saw in Boys in the Hood, they tried to apply here, but it doesn't really work because it's like, you know, you almost when you when you see Big Boy, it's almost like, dude, you overreact a little bit, really. You know what I'm saying? And then you, you know. It, I just really think that this was a movie that had some potential to show what life was like in in Atlanta, 
but at the same time, they did not achieve that goal at all. You know. Yeah, I agree with you. The movie had potential, and it fell short of that potential. And T.R. and Lauren London aren't the best actors, um, but there's just something very, very um, cozy and unpretentious about the film, if that makes any sense, um, where I don't feel like they were trying too hard. Um, and, I, I, and, you know, regardless of the acting, um, T.I. and Lauren London's characters, who were supposed to be in a relationship, had some real chemistry. Um, like, the chemistry was palpable. And I believe a lot of times the movie came out because they weren't such great actors and the chemistry was so good. People were questioning whether or not they were in a relationship. Um, I like the character, the, the, the um, chemistry between them. I like um, the, the younger brother, the young, Rashad is the title character. His, youngest, his younger brother was played by Evan Ross, who actually is a stellar actor. ATL did not um, do him justice in showcasing his acting abilities, um, but Evan Ross is a powerhouse as an actor. Um, um, it really, it, it really, I really love the character of Star and Vita as well, the twins. Um, they were just yeah. like, like so lovably ratchet. Like it was. <laughs> they were cute. Up. They were very cute. Yeah. They were so cute. It was so ratchet, but like in the cutest way ever. And, you know, um, it, it, it kind of had that fairy tale ending of everybody living happily ever after. But if you look closer, what they achieved wasn't unattainable. You know, you had their, their friend Teddy, who finally managed to graduate high school at 21 years old, you know, and open his own <laughs> grow shop, and open his own grow shop, you know, never give up. You know, the brother who had that bad run-in with selling drugs and getting jumped and getting shot and who decided to go on the straight and narrow after learning his lesson the hard way. You know, Rashad, Rashad's character didn't go on to college, but he he finally believed in himself enough after that to, you know, start writing his own comic. And his friend, the one, the um, Esquire, who was about studying and trying to get into the Ivy League, did. But he, it wasn't portrayed as some last-minute thing. He'd always been intelligent, always focused on studying. Um, I agree with you that the whole thing about the, the, the roller skating competition and the skate wars, was so unnecessary, but I really like how they tied everything up to the end. And, you know, the twins were still doing what they always do. Still at Cascade, trying to find a rich dude. <laughs> Good luck. I've been to Cascade. Yeah. <laughs> You've been to Cascade? Is that a real place? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, all that stuff is real, you know. Wow. Okay. That's kind of cool. <laughs> um, all right. For my... Um, Love Jones, starring um, Lorenz Tate and Mia Long. This movie starred actually a slew of notable black actors um, from days past. Um, Love Jones is just, um, it's one of those movies where you see that everyone is, first of all, everyone is perfectly cast. Um, I think I couldn't imagine another character in the, that role, um, and it stars some of my favorite actors: Isaiah Washington, who was on Grey's Anatomy for a few years, then got fired, and now he's back on Grey's Anatomy. Um, it, it stars. There's so much black intellectualism in the movie, and I love it. 
Love Jones was one of the first movies where I saw black people not acting a fool um, that didn't revolve around black stereotypes of how black people dressed, how black people spoke, and what black people ate, where black people hung out, um, like black intellectuals. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in the school, in schools that just recite spoken word all day long but really don't do much else. Um, yeah. And there's even a Leonard Roberts, who's old as hell, and, you know, he played a 20-year-old, he played a, a man in his mid-20s in Love Jones, which was in 1997. And then, like, two or three years later, he was playing a teenager in Drumline with Nick Cannon. Like, this dude doesn't age. He really doesn't. But anyway, back on the subject matter. Um, Love Jones is about Darius Lovehall, a young black poet in Chicago, who starts dating Nina Mosley, and she's a photographer. And they're trying to find out if they have, like, a love connection or just a sexual connection. And in in overanalyzing their relationship and whether or not they're friends, friends with benefits, lovers, part-time lovers, or if this is really the real deal, um, you know, um, she she pushes it too far and tests his emotions. And she tries to start up something with her ex. Um, where where it would have never worked because they don't have that sort of relationship. And um, you really see, you know, that a perfect relationship, even with true love, as theirs was, you know, um, put out to be, there is no such thing as perfection. And people are going to make mistakes, and they have to start over. And you have to start over with the knowledge that this person has hurt you before and that you don't have a clean slate and... and you know, the canvas is gray now. Um, but it's a great movie. Um, I think the acting was really, really great. And Lorenzo was another one. He was, like, a pretty big actor in the 90s. You know, Inkwell, Love Jones, um, Dead President, um, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Like, he, he had some great titles under his belt in the 90s. I wish he was still making movies. But, yeah, love that dude. Yeah. Yeah, and um, real quick, because I only got a few minutes, I'm going to mention this other one because I just thought about it, The Five Heartbeats. I love that movie. I'm not going to say much about, about it, but just, you just got, I mean, it's a Robert Townsend movie, and uh, he does. he's done a lot of good movies. Check out uh, Hollywood Shuffle as well. Uh, this, this guy, I love Hollywood Shuffle, should, but I've never seen The Five Heartbeats. Oh, man, you love it. You'd love it. You'd love it, man. It's 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 really it's really heartfelt, really poignant. If you've ever seen a movie not um chronicling like uh the Temptations or something like that, you'd like this. Um just real good. I mean, these guys, you know, I mean, I don't know who I think I wanna say one of the guys from either the five R beats or the four tops actually, you know, did some of the lip singing for the guys or something like that. But it, it, it was really a great movie. It also had Leon, who you thought might have actually... What the hell happened to Leon? Anyway. Um, so, uh, oh, yeah, before I forget, really quickly, other movies that I didn't get a chance to mention but are definitely noteworthy. Um, um, School Days and um, She's Gotta Have It. Both of them are Spike Lee movies. He was at the top of his game when he made those movies. Um some great actors in there, Lorenzo Cage, Samuel L. Jackson, um, and of course, 
Mr. Lee himself um, um, was in both of these films. You know what? You want to have a, a part two of this sometime? We need a part two for real. There's way more great black films than I had previously anticipated that I love. Right. There's a lot of these I didn't think of until like the last part of the show. So, yeah, let's do let's do that. I don't know if we'll do it next next episode or whatever, but um, just stay tuned and hopefully we won't have any hiccups with block talk this time. And um, and once again, we'll apologize for those those issues and everything like that. So. All right. Well, we're going to wrap, and you know, stay tuned for this potential uh, part two, which I'm pretty sure is going to come, you know, because I, I got some more ideas in my head, too, and everything. And um, don't, be sure to check out um, the other BFT shows, especially Kim's show, which is going to – which will be airing uh, Sunday afternoon. Um, you know, if you listen to the archives and whatnot, check out all the other shows in the BFT lineup and everything. You'll like what you're hearing. What you got to say, Em? Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Sorry for the technical difficulties, and I hope that you are all here for part two of the show. Thanks, Mario, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great weekend. All right, and we're out. Bye. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. <laughs> <laughs>